Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Monday afternoon, start of a new week. Glad to have you along for the ride on Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. Always available for you via podcast. If you miss any part of the show and want to go back and listen, you can do so. You can download the Sports Talk Mississippi podcast along with Thunder and Lightning and the Rebel Report wherever you get your podcasts. Hope you had a great weekend getting back into it. Some of you maybe with the uh, day off on this Monday for President's Day. My kids were uh, certainly excited not to have to uh, go to school today, um, so that was good for them. Uh, C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. You can go ahead and start getting us your winners and losers. We'll get to those in the 4 o'clock hour this afternoon. There certainly were a bunch of winners on the diamond. We will get into all of that as Mississippi State gets a sweep of Wright State, Southern Miss gets a sweep of Murray State, and Ole Miss wins two of three from Louisville to open the season. So a lot of good baseball played in the state of Mississippi on the opening weekend of the Division I college season. Borky, great job yesterday. Uh, you and Alex and Will and Stephen Gagliano on the uh, the special report on the flood. You're in Jackson. Give us an update on what's going on with the Pearl River and the uh, the flooding issues. Well, amid all of uh, the devastation, there's actually some good news. So the river did not crest as high as initially reported. They thought that it was going to get up to 38 feet. Yesterday, the number was 37 and a half. And I believe it was under 37 today. So even though... fantastic. Uh, it's it's still a long road ahead, and we've got more weather coming this week, and then after the weekend, more rain coming. But well, it's going to kind of sit this way for a while, as we understand it. So the river is going to be high for a few days, but uh, not as high as they initially projected, which is always a good thing. So certainly, there are some some issues with flooding in and around the Jackson Metro area as a result of uh, the flooding with the Pearl River and having to let some of the water out of uh, out of the reservoir. But sounds like it could have been worse than it uh, has been. Uh, again, I, I think it's important to emphasize that you know not entirely out of the woods yet. There is some rain in the forecast for the week, but uh, it will take some small victories as we uh, as we can get them. No question. Aside from that, Borky, how was your weekend? Weekend was good. Watched uh, watched a, a ton of sports, as you can imagine. Uh, just try yeah. to consume everything. And on top of the baseball and the basketball here, NBA All-Star Weekend, uh, which was great this weekend. I know not a big NBA state, and people get mad at me every time I bring it up, including you at times. Uh, but that was a really good thing this weekend. And mad. I also helped uh, a buddy move. So I was really busy. There you go. Hey, Dad, good weekend. A lot of baseball in uh, your weekend. Yeah, that's pretty much what my weekend was, was just me at Duty Noble Field, which I will certainly take. Uh, the weather wasn't as bad as uh, you thought it might be, so, so we had some, some good days and got, got to watch a lot of good baseball this weekend. 
Rippy, you saw a bunch of baseball as well. I did. It consisted of most of the weekend. But got three games in, no delays. So you, you'll take the small victories? Yep. A couple of big victories for Ole Miss over uh, number one or number two, Louisville, depending on which poll you are looking at. Uh, sweeps again for Mississippi State and Southern Miss. And we had basketball over the weekend. Let's talk briefly about that. We've got Scott Berry coming up today on the Farm Bureau phone line at 337. So that's about 15, 20 minutes from right now. Mike Bianco will join us in the 5 o'clock hour to recap the weekend. And we won't get um, Chris Lamonis live today, but Hey Dad had a chance to sit down with him earlier this morning. We will play that conversation for you coming up in the 4 o'clock hour after we go through winners and losers. Basketball, though, um, Mississippi State played the first game of the day. And, hey, Dad, we talked last week about how important that game was and that whatever NCAA tournament hopes still existed for Mississippi State kind of hinged on the outcome of Saturday's game. And it was not, it was not one where you could, um, you know, coast into feeling really good about it, but a pretty incredible finish. Borky, can you queue up staying alive for me? That's, that's what the music I need for this, uh, particular kind. Yeah. That state, you know, had a good lead at the half, was playing pretty well, pushes that lead out to 17 points, and you think, okay, they're just going to wrap this up, but it's just never that easy for Mississippi State. They give that lead away. Arkansas actually had a lead late in the game. Uh, but of all people, Abdul Adu might have made the shot that sort of, you know, saves the season a little bit. Uh, we'll see what happens in the weeks to come. But he, his only bucket of the day uh, is the big one, uh, a tip in with uh, .6 left to give state a, a one point win over Arkansas and like you said you know we said that they had to they one and one last week was the minimum they had to have that they got it and so they're still in it thank you there, there it is you're welcome I, I like it big game for Tyson Carter he was a leading scorer for Mississippi State uh, but it was the tip in at the end off of a miss that uh, Abdul Adu got up on the rim kind of hung on the rim for a second and then uh, fell through. Mississippi State was able to escape with a one-point win over Arkansas. It was a big win. It was also probably a damning win for or a damning loss for Arkansas. Uh, they're now sitting at four and eight in SEC play after the loss. And uh, boy, they got to get a lot done. And they have got to get Isaiah Joe back and healthy. They have uh, lost. Oh goodness, it's four in a row that uh, that Arkansas has lost. So they've gone from four and four in the league to four and eight in the league. Ole Miss had won three in a row headed into uh, their game with Kentucky in Lexington at Rupp Arena on Saturday, Rippy. And honestly, Ole Miss played well enough to win that game. Uh, there were a couple of things at the end that you can't help but kind of scratch your head about. Uh, Brian Tyree in the final minute ten or minute twenty. Missed the front end of a one-and-one twice, and so potentially left four points on the board there. Ole Miss lost by five. And then in the most critical possession of the game, 29-point-something seconds remaining, Ole Miss down one with the ball, shot clock off, and the possession consisted of Devontae Shuler just standing and dribbling and dribbling and dribbling and nobody moving and he goes to his right and takes a contested three that's an air ball with seven seconds left. Well, to me, it looked like they were in the process of carrying out whatever draw Kermit Davis had, and in that, at some point during that, uh, Shuler aborted it, 
because I think he saw the guy leave his feet and he was trying to make what he thought was probably a smart, heady play, and just in that moment in time, uh, not the way to go. Oh, if it works, he's probably being hailed as a genius, but it didn't. Wasn't the right play in that time. Want to get the ball and re in Tyree's hands, but yeah, they played well enough to win, except for the last ninety seconds. Fairly important. Yeah, you got to finish out a game, but again, a contested off balance three with seven seconds remaining, as opposed to getting anything going to the basket. Even if you don't give the ball off to Brian Tyree. Drive to the bucket and try and draw some contact. Sure, but I think he was trying to draw contact and draw a foul. I don't think he thought that was an ideal shot either. I think he saw the guy leave his feet and tried to get into it. Why did everybody stand around for 22 seconds? That I don't know the answer to. I didn't see Kermit Davis's post game, but uh, the original design was to get the ball to Tyree. Yeah, so a tough loss for Ole Miss. They end up losing by five at Kentucky on uh, on Saturday and. You know, not all momentum lost. Again, they played pretty well, but the margin for error is non-existent for Ole Miss for the uh, the remainder of the season, and probably, you know, the 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 little bit of talk and chatter that you had about Ole Miss getting to the NCAA tournament. I don't know that it necessarily goes away just with that loss, but certainly that's an opportunity missed. And the best remaining opportunity for a signature win is going to be a road game at Auburn, um, and it's an Auburn team that has not lost at home the entire year. Yeah, I mean, I would say those are pretty much squashed unless they win out. But sure, I mean, they can split one of these last three road games and win all their home games and try to get into the NIT or something like that. Yeah, that's probably the uh, best-case scenario at uh, at this point. Borky, you promised that today we were going to have a poll question asking if you watched the XFL this week because so many people did last week. So I'll ask you, did you watch the XFL this weekend? Uh, truthfully, no. And, and I was I was planning on it. There was just so much other sports going on uh, around here. I, St. Louis's first home game is this weekend, and I'm going to make it a point to watch that because apparently they're expecting just some kind of a wild atmosphere. And yeah. we have some local flavor there as well. But no, I didn't watch a second of it. Between basketball and baseball and everything, I, I, I almost forgot it existed this weekend. Uh, DC beat New York 27 to nothing. Seattle beat Tampa Bay 17 to 9. Dallas got their first win, went to Los Angeles and won 25 to 18 yesterday. And pretty fun game with Houston against St. Louis. Couple of, uh, costly interceptions for Jordan Tamu, but otherwise he was brilliant. And, uh, it was not enough though. It was, uh, the Renegades beat the Battlehawks 28-24. So those were the four results from the XFL this weekend. I watched that for game. The second H. interception, they missed an offsides call, and so he threw it up to his deepest receiver thinking he had a free play, which he should have, and they never threw the offsides flag, and the guy returned it like 70 yards to the two. Mm. Mm. See the crowd in Seattle, by the way? Was it good or no? Might be the best sports town in the country. Where did they did they play it at uh, CenturyLink? They did. I mean, they played it, and look, they they didn't open the upper decks, but everything else was full. That's pretty cool. To your point, uh, St. Louis had sold more season tickets, I guess, than any other of the uh, XFL franchises. They've got their first home game coming up this uh, weekend. Hey, Dad, did you watch any XFL? Watch most of the uh, the Houston-St. Louis game. There you go. Sports Talk Mississippi, let's dive into the baseball weekend. We'll talk Ole Miss and Mississippi State next and then get to Southern Miss with Scott Berry in about 15 minutes. Sports Talk Mississippi.
All right, so let's talk some baseball from the opening weekend. Ole Miss and Louisville, I guess kind of the marquee series nationally. You had some one-off games that certainly drew big attention. Uh, Vanderbilt and Michigan playing against each other on Friday night, but that was part of kind of a uh, tournament format. Uh, Vanderbilt actually lost that game. Michigan hit a uh, home run in the uh, ninth inning and then was able to hang on in the bottom of the ninth for the uh, for the win. You had a couple of other uh, big matchups in college baseball in week one, but a lot of eyes in the college baseball world were on Oxford, Rippy, this weekend for Ole Miss and Louisville. Got started on Friday. Louisville's Reed Detmers was really good. He was as good as advertised. At one point, struck out eight in a row. Um and I guess that was to start the game after loading the bases in the in the first inning. And then he uh, struck out the side and then struck out the side in the second and got a couple of strikeouts in the third. I think I'm remembering that correctly. Uh, and then Ole Miss kind of, kind of fell apart defensively at the end of that ball game to take game one. Yeah, I mean, I think as good as that kid's big looping breaking ball was, Ole Miss really struggled to catch up to his fastball, which velocity-wise isn't that uh, – Really is it? I mean, it wasn't near as, as as quick as the kid the next day, Bobby Miller, but a lot heavier, a lot more deceptive, and he tunnels both of those pitches pretty well, and they just were really off balance the whole night. Doug Nikhazy pitched okay, made a mistake or two there in the sixth that kind of led to his undoing, and then Ole Miss just played really just sloppy defensively in the later innings, and it kind of got away from him late. And then in game two, Ole Miss gets an 8-6 win, and the legend of Cale Baker was born. Four for four with two home runs, a double, four runs driven in. He is, uh, the, the comparison that people are drawing to him is Kenny Powers. Is that a good comparison? Uh, have you ever seen Eastbound and Down? Yes. You don't, you don't, He's you like, don't like Kenny Powers five years after retirement, Kenny Powers. He's got a little bit more beef on him. I think the comparison's funny. I just didn't know if you'd seen it or not. Like that's uh like I was late to the party on the eastbound and down thing. I didn't know if that was like something you'd ventured into yet. Uh, I know Hey Dad watches it cuz he sent me some gif or gif whatever it's called. But yeah, I I I mean he he's I've never heard Mike Mike Bianco called him a joy and I've never really heard him refer to a player like that. And I don't necessarily mean that as a slight. He's just uh, I think he has a pretty vibrant personality. He said he was aware of the Kenny Powers things. He's a Kenny uh eastbound and down fan. Doesn't think he'll live up to that legacy, uh, which might be a good thing in some ways. Yeah, but, let's hope uh, not. Yeah. He he hits he hit. The, I mean, it, it, he kind of helped ignite that first inning to where Ole Miss, I think, after a frustrating Friday night, really needed to get off to a good start. They scored three in the first. He hits one over the fence, and then hit another one uh, to a similar spot. Or I guess not exactly the same spot in the three-run seventh inning that really kind of uh, secured the game for him. And. Gunnar Hoagland goes five and a third, gives up six hits, three earned runs. He strikes out seven, walks one. What did you make of his outing? I thought he was fine. I mean, it's it, it was a pretty good lineup. I don't think it was his best outing by any means. But you know, last year he really struggled at the beginning of the year. Uh, you know, second time through the order, and once you know that third fourth inning came around, it really got to him, and you didn't really you didn't really see that uh, yet on Saturday. And so I thought he. Uh, Thought he was pretty good. The wind was blowing out. It wasn't necessarily the easiest day to pitch, despite the cooler temperature. Although Saturday was actually okay, but yeah, he was fine. Walked one, struck out seven. I uh, thought his fastball was a lot better, or at least looked a lot better than it did last year. I thought he was pretty good. And in the deciding game three, Ole Miss wins seven to six. Wasn't without some drama in the bottom of the ninth inning, as Ben Bianco had a double down the left field line to score a run. Uh, they had a guy uh, reached on a throwing error by Anthony Servideo that scored Bianco to make what was a three-run game a one-run game. 
Ole Miss able to hang on, though, at the end as Max Chofi got a strikeout and then um, uh, the freshman catcher for Ole Miss, Hayden Dunhurst, from his knees threw out a base runner trying to steal. They're trying to get that tying run into scoring position, so you get strike him out, throw him out to end the game. Well, as a lot of people asked about his arm this weekend, and uh, he kind of stifled a Louisville seems to, like runs a pretty decent bit and didn't, and that kind of capped off the weekend. He struggled a little bit at the plate, but uh, really flashed with they, you know, kind of the arm strength you heard about in the off season. So Ole Miss gets two out of three and jumps in the polls today. Early season college baseball polls really don't matter. We've talked about that uh, plenty in the past, but uh, some recognition for what Ole Miss did somewhere in the fifteen to seventeen eighteen range when you uh, look at all the polls after just one week. Hey, Dad, Mississippi State opens on Friday. And uh, JT Ginn, I I watched some of that game early, was okay, but he wasn't necessarily dominant. Uh, And then Mississippi State rallies late in the ballgame to to get a game one win. Yeah, and you mentioned Ginn, who was on a pretty tight pitch count. They wanted him only at 60 pitches, and that only got him into the – through the fourth inning, like you said, just was good, but not not himself for sure. Um, but from for the most part, I, I, I don't know what to expect from Ginn on a day where you know temperatures are in the the low forties to or, you know maybe even the high thirties, and they, they wanted to be limited with him anyway. But he, he, you're correct in that he just didn't he didn't look like you would probably want him to look like their first game. You would like for him to come out there and have command and. Get some strikeouts, but it just didn't happen. But that said, he, he didn't give up a lot of damage either. So he got some outs and went from there. His three innings, three hits, two earned runs, four strikeouts, yeah. two walks through 58 pitches, and then a bunch of other guys through. Charlie, uh, Carlisle Kessler, uh, Chase Patrick, who actually got the win, Jackson Forrester, Landon Sims, and then Jared Schimper uh, got the save at the end of the game. Yeah, and then when you'll hear when you'll hear in the interview with Lamonis, you know he they, State pitched a ton of guys this weekend. They got a lot of guys a, an inning or two uh, out of the bullpen, and that's what they wanted to do for for sure uh, was was to get that those guys. You know, Landon Sims is the guy I think they'd like to come in and try to grab hold of that closer role. He was not good on Friday at all. Very wild, loaded the bases. They had to come and get him uh, there in the ninth and, and let Shemper finish it out. He was much better on Sunday uh, in relief. He looked very much in command. So. A lot of new faces for Mississippi State. I mean, if you're a Bulldog fan that just sort of passingly follows baseball, chances are you didn't recognize a name with Richard <laughs> just said beyond JT again. But uh, that's going to be the, the case this year. It's just a lot of new faces out there in the bullpen. 9-6 to six in Game 1, and then Mississippi State pitched it really well in Game number 2. Got a 6-2 to two win. The first start for Christian McLeod. Thank you very much. Yes, please. Five innings, one hit, no runs allowed, one walk, 11 strikeouts. He threw 77 pitches in the uh, in the game, um, faced 17 hitters, got three ground outs to go with the 11 strikeouts. There was the one walk and uh, gave up a couple of hits, or, or I guess just the one hit. Pretty much the most you could ask for in a debut for Christian McLeod. Yeah, we, we now know why they had so much confidence in him when we talked to him in, in, in the offseason. Of course, he's the SEC co-freshman of the week for that performance. Uh, very, very good. And like you said, when you're, when you, you know, you face what you said five innings. So, you know, 15 of your, 14 of your 15 outs are strikeouts or ground outs. Everybody on earth will take something like that. I mean, just not letting them put the ball into the outfield, not letting them really put it into play. That's a really good performance. And, you know, it's week one, and, and it, you don't want to project too much, obviously. But 
if that's what you're going to get from Christian McLeod or performances near that level, that then yeah, you're going to be just fine there in that Saturday spot with him. Eric Sarantola credited with the win despite only pitching four innings yesterday, so maybe designated starter with everybody on uh, on a pitch count. Gave up only two hits. He walked three. He struck out eight. At times looked just absolutely overpowering. He threw 79 pitches in the game. Mississippi State again used six pitchers yesterday, including a couple of familiar names in uh, in Spencer Price and Riley Sell. Spencer Price to close it out at the end and uh, close out the sweep of the uh, of Wright State, the Wright State Raiders, to uh, start the year three and zero. Yeah, with Sarantoli in the first inning, you know, I think he, he walks and gives up a base hit, and you're thinking, oh gosh, here here you go again with this guy. He just cannot uh, get it together. But then, really weird little situation. Once he got the first out of an inning, he didn't allow anybody on after that. He we would just go ahead and get the next two outs. The difference is in the first and the third innings, he got into trouble. He loaded the bases in the third. And but was able to get the first out of from there, got everybody out. But in those one, two, three innings, and you saw some of that the, the pitching ninja uh, Twitter account picked up. He was really, really good. So, I guess maybe it's a confidence thing with him. He just needs to get that first out to get going. And, and but you'll take that from him because you know his stuff is so good. Not a ton of offense yesterday for Mississippi State. Two in the first, three in the third. Then didn't score the rest of the way. Had only seven hits in the ball game. What did you take from Mississippi State's offense for the weekend? You know, it, it wasn't overpowering. You know, Foscue and uh, had an interesting weekend. He batted two twenty five. He's come or came out of the weekend at two twenty five, but he had six RBI. Um, hmm. Westberg and Jordan, or Westberg and Jordan, sounds funny. State has a bunch of Jordans, by the way. Lots of Jordans and Tanners. If your name is Jordan or Tanner, please apply. At Maybe you need State to go with Westberg. Rowdy and Westberg. Rowdy and Westberg had good weekends. Rowdy, I think, may have had more hits this weekend than he had in all of uh, February last year. Remember, he got off such a <laughs> terrible start. Yeah. A season ago, but he he looked very comfortable there in the leadoff spot, uh, you know, taking the uh, the role of Jake Mangum there. Um, Tanner Allen got hurt on Friday, took a foul ball off his knee, and did not play on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, they hope to have him back this week. They expect to have him back this week, I would think. Um, and then with uh, Foscue and Hatcher, I mean, they were both pretty solid, but but nothing nothing jumped out of you. Nothing was you know really impressive with the offense. So that's a recap of what happened in Oxford, what happened in Starkville. Next, we will recap what happened in Hattiesburg when Scott Berry joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line. A sweep for the Golden Eagles over Murray State and a homestand that will continue over the next couple of days and into the weekend for Southern Miss. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Monday afternoon. Monday afternoons throughout the baseball season. At this time, we will check in with Scott Berry, head baseball coach at Southern Miss, on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. And for the first installment of that, we welcome Scott Berry to Sports Talk Mississippi right now. A sweep on opening weekend. I'm sure there are things that you would like to do better and coach things that you want to work on, but three wins to start the season is always a good way to begin the year. It sure is. Uh, you know, we've got a young team this year, Richard, so obviously I knew we were going to miss on some opportunities that we hope in the future will be cleared up and, and cleaned up. But, you know, overall, when you uh, when you come out for the weekend with three wins, you got to be happy, and, and that's certainly where we are. Pitched it well, swung the bats pretty well, I guess, in the, the season opener, six to nothing, and Gabe Shepard gave you six and two-thirds. Only gave up a hit, didn't allow a run, seven strikeouts, didn't walk anybody. How do you evaluate that first start of the year for Shepard? 
Well, you know, last year he meant, he ended the season with a lot of momentum uh, with uh, with the last regular season game that we had in the middle of the week, and then uh, and then just cruised on into the uh, conference tournament through seven and two thirds no hit against Rice, and then followed it up against a really good offensive Arizona State team, and really handcuffed them. So we were hoping that uh, that momentum would roll into uh, the 2020 year, and, and it did. I mean, I thought that that game was really sharp. Uh, I think he only made one three-ball count in those six and uh, two-thirds innings. So very proud of his outing and got deep in the game, you know, kind of kept our bullpen fresh, even though we, we need to see some arms. You don't like to, to use a bunch on Friday with two games to go. So with him getting into the seventh inning there on Friday, and then Ock, a kid that was uh, hurt last year, only through 12 and a third. To see him come back from his surgery and really pitch well, those were two positives on Friday night. Was your plan all along for Ryan Ock to be the first guy out of the bullpen? No, not really. I think we have some different options to go to, but you know, we, we needed to see where Ock was. Uh, you know, like I said, we sh- he had the surgery over the summer and uh, rehabbed him all fall, so. It was it was good to get him back out there and see see how he handled it and you know he, he took a hold of the uh, of the game when uh, we're in pretty good shape with it so uh, real proud uh, real proud of Ryan and, and how he uh, how he handled it there Friday. So you get the shutout in game one and then you've got close games over the next two days. Uh, you had the lead going into the uh, ninth inning up three to nothing going into the ninth. Give up a couple of ninth inning runs with uh, with Hunter Slater on the mound. Kind of walk me through game two. Well, yeah, uh, Walker Powell came out and did what Walker Powell usually does. I mean, he soaks up innings, he scatters some hits, he pitches out of some jams, and, and he damaged controls. You know, there were, I think he gave up six hits uh, in his outing, but, you know, they were scattered. There wasn't really anything barreled up hard, a lot of soft outs. But you know, I think more importantly, when Murray State looked like they were gaining some momentum and, and uh, threatening. He was able to induce a couple of ground balls in two different innings to, to get those double plays and get out of it. And then in, in the sixth there, he had first and second uh, with just a one-to-nothing ball game in our favor, and he was able to get out of that. So I think that defines pitching, you know, to be able to take it to another level, flip that light switch on when you got to get out of some damage, and he did just that. So, you know, we uh, – both of those games, and you mentioned game two and three, they were one-run ball games. So if you look at both of them, uh, we scored runs in the bottom of the eighth, one run in the bottom of the eighth to put us up two. Of course, they answered in both those games in the top of the ninth was uh, with solo home runs in each of the games. So that run in the eighth on both games in two and three became the winning runs when it was all set up. Walker Powell, 81 pitches in seven innings. Can you expect that kind of a economy on a kind of a weekend, week out basis? Well, I hope we can, but you know, it doesn't <laughs> always work that way. Sure. Obviously, as we know, but you know, he was he was really good, and, and being the first time out, even though it's your your fifth year in his case, his sixth year in our program, uh, or I should say his fourth year, but he's also he's been here six years with a red shirt and a medical uh, one of each, so. You know, he's, he's logged in a lot of innings for us, 36 starts over his three years that he's competed for, 16 in each of the last two years uh, he has started games. So that experience is invaluable whenever you're looking for a weekend rotation and, and you can anchor it with him there in the middle. Coach, looks to me like three different types of games. So the, the shutout in game one, leading the entire way in game two and just kind of being able to hang on in the end, and then yesterday, kind of a seesaw. You, you fall behind... 
you tie it up. You fall behind, you take the lead. You fall behind, you take the lead again. You get that insurance run that you were talking about a second ago, and then you're able to hang on at the end. Is it important to play different types of games early in the year? Well, I think it is, and especially with uh, you know our situation. I alluded to that we have a young club. Yesterday I started five freshmen and two sophomores in that lineup, with one of the freshmen being uh, freshman left-handed pitcher Chandler Best. But a lot, a lot of youth out there, and 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 being able to seesaw back and forth and stay in the middle of the ring and not keep yourself on the ropes, I thought that will prove probably prove to be very beneficial for us as we move through the season, learning how to win those games. Hats off to Murray State. You know they were trying to salvage a win, so they came out Sunday with a sense of urgency of not being swept, and it showed from the first inning on. They hit us with two runs on top of the first, uh, and we fell behind for the first time on the weekend. So. We had to learn how to play from behind, and, and, and then again later in the game we got behind. So that shows a lot about this young club and the leadership of our older guys and, and not giving in and, and learning to play that game all the way through and trying to win it however you can. State of Minnesota has been good to you in uh, in recent years. Obviously, that's where Matt Walner came from. Charlie Fisher from Minnesota as well played a little bit last year, not a lot, but has a monster day yesterday. Uh, going four for four at the plate, driving in uh, three runs as well. Was there any connection between Walner and Fisher? I don't know if they knew each other at all. Our contact up there obviously put us in touch with those young men. And, and then, of course, Ock, you know, you can mix him in there as well. That's right. From there. So, uh, Charlie, big weekend for us. Hit 700 and 7 for 10. Uh, hmm. Held down that DH spot. Handled the left-hander well. On, on Saturday, uh, which was big to see. So, you know, he had some really big hits, two backside doubles yesterday that proved to be uh, really, really backbreakers for, for Murray State. Thought they were going to get out of it. He delivers a big blow. So, uh, you know, he and Walner obviously are big hitters from there, and, and uh, we're just proud to have had Walner in our program and now Charlie. You've had some really good first basemen through the years. You do a couple of different things at first this weekend with Will McGillis and, and Brant Blaylock. Is that kind of how you expect it to go, where those two will kind of rotate back and forth, or do you expect one of the two of them to kind of lock down that spot and be your everyday first baseman? Well, I'll be honest with you. McGillis got hurt Friday night. Uh, okay. He hits a big two-run single to right field to put us up four to nothing, tweaks a hamstring coming around first base, so I uh, had to pinch run for him, and then Brant uh, Blaylock, who's been working there for us in the fall and in the spring, but also in the outfield. Uh, you know, we implemented him into the into the game, and then on the rest of the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, he played first base and really, really showed up and played well. And we needed a big shot in the arm from him. He's a senior this year, and with McGillis, who was my most improved player in the fall, going down. Uh, and not want a chance to try to push anything and let him heal. You know, Brant was asked to, to get in there and, and do what he's supposed to do, and he did it, and, and probably even more. So uh, that's what you want to see in your program. When guys get an opportunity, they step up, and that's exactly what we saw out of Brant the last two, two games. Was it also Gabe Montenegro that, that had the ball off of his hand and then came back and played yesterday? Did I, did I get he that right? He did. You know, uh, got, took, a, took a pitch off the hand in Saturday. Uh, didn't know if it was broke or not. Had x-ray Saturday night. It wasn't broke, thankfully. Uh, really, really swollen. Um, you know, he wasn't in the lineup when I, when I wrote the lineup out Sunday morning, and then I got word that he had flown in some Guatemala 
coffee beans and uh, ground them up and made a paste and put it on there, and magically he was healed and back in the lineup as a leadoff hitter for us. How about that? <laughs> Can you package that and sell it? I don't know, but I'll tell you what, if it works like that, we're going to use it on a lot of things. I'm going to use it on me. So, uh, no, that was, a, that was a pleasant surprise. And the, the swelling, the trainer and him worked real hard to try to get that swelling down. And Sunday morning, he went down there on his own, wanting to hit and, and wanting to play, and said he felt fine. So, uh, you know, uh, that's just a gamer. That's the kind of guys that everybody wants in their program. They want, they want to be out there. And, and uh, you know, Gabe, Gabe delivered yesterday with a couple of big hits for us. That's like the old legend of a kid gets a bee sting at the ballpark and you find somebody that's got a big chaw of tobacco and you put that on the bee sting to take down the swelling. You've heard that before, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Many a time. I don't think that's so. real common anymore, but uh, nevertheless. Well, good weekend, Coach. Now you get a couple of midweek games coming up. I want to try and keep it rolling. Always enjoy these conversations and look forward to talking to you again next Monday. Uh, my pleasure, Richard. Thank you. Scott Berry, head baseball coach at Southern Miss. Went as well as you could have hoped for in the opening weekend. Three wins for the Golden Eagles to start things out against Murray State. They win game one, six to nothing, three to two in game two, eight to seven yesterday. We'll host New Orleans tomorrow night and Central Arkansas on Friday. So one midweek game against UNO, and then they will host the Central Arkansas Bears in a three game series starting next Friday at Pete Taylor Park. Scott Berry, as always, joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. We've got more coming up with you after a quick timeout. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Wrapping up the first hour, we've got winners and losers coming up in a few minutes to start the 4 o'clock hour. We'll give you hours from the weekend. I think we've got plenty of ammunition for winners and for losers from the weekend. Want to know yours as well. What did you see this weekend that you liked? What did you see that you didn't like? And put it in one column or the other, either a winner or a loser. Midweek basketball is coming up, and we've gotten to the point in the year where every single game is really, really important, at least for some teams. Now, if you're 1-11 and in the SEC like Vanderbilt is, it doesn't really matter how it goes one way or the other. But it could matter to Vanderbilt's opponent because you don't want to suffer the fate that LSU did two weeks ago or a week and a half ago and lose to a Vanderbilt team because that could be an anchor around your neck. One of those teams that will have to deal with Vanderbilt is Tennessee. That's tomorrow night. Tennessee hosting Vanderbilt. Florida is hosting Arkansas. Florida coming off just boat racing uh, Vanderbilt in Gainesville on Saturday night. Borky, that was one of those games. I, I don't know if you watched any of it or caught any of it. It was the game that I did this weekend. And sometimes you have storylines and, and people get frustrated. Like, well, you didn't talk enough about the game. There was nothing to talk about in that game. I was really, really happy that that was the night that they were putting Billy Donovan's name on the court, and he was sitting <laughs> down with us for a segment, and Al Horford sat down with us for a second in the uh, in the first uh, half of the game as well. That one was just kind of tough to watch all the way around. Uh, you should have asked. I saw that uh, uh, Go ahead, Borky. That's all right. You were probably going to say something better than me. I don't know about that. I was just telling you, I saw the uh, Donovan interview on mute. Oh, so you thought it was a good interview? Yeah. 
Go ahead. Great pocket square. I was at Funky's eating a pizza and drinking a beer, so like I, I didn't have remote control power, but it looked solid. You like the pocket square? Yeah. It was a good one. Thanks. Hey, Dad, you would have approved. I have to go back and find it. I have to find some more. I'll look at it. <laughs> because you're the pocket square guy. What were you going to say, Borky? Oh, just something stupid about how uh, you should have asked Billy, Do- Billy Donovan how to stop Gallinari because that guy is an assassin um, and just killed New Orleans before the All-Star break. But, Richard, don't ignore those people. I know you do. But it's just, especially when the game is out of reach, and of course the broadcasters are going to start talking about other things. I, how much do you really need them to be discussing the intricacies of a bad basketball game? I've never understood the desire to have more of that. Yeah. You, you get to a point where you're just trying to do stuff to hopefully keep people from changing the channel. Yeah, oh, my gosh. Jeremy it was a 30-point game at halftime. What are you supposed to do in the second half? Talk a whole lot about <laughs> Billy Donovan and how good it was. Um, oh, man. Jerry Stackhouse did give us a little ammo, though, as um, – Clearly, what should have been a foul on uh, on Florida's Scotty Lewis, I think it was, kind of blocked the shot, but then a whole lot of body contact on the way down of Matthew Moyer for Vanderbilt. And then Moyer, and I, I don't know what the diagnosis ultimately was on the injury, but it sure looked like a separated shoulder, like his shoulder popped out of place. So he's laying on lying on the floor. There was no foul called. Jerry Stackhouse has to walk from the opposite end of the floor down to where his player is injured, and he gives referee an earful on the way down and gets a tee, which you could see coming from a mile away. And after he, the, they kind of helped the player up from Vanderbilt, he's got the long walk back, a <laughs> few more words, <laughs> and he in his green suit gets sent to the shower. It was, it was, <laughs> it was the greenest full-on green suit you've ever seen in your life. Um, did you see the stat, by the way, that 11 SEC teams would lead the Big Ten in fouls per game? No. 11 SEC teams would lead mm. the Big Ten in fouls per game. Look, I, I just feel bad for a guy when there is a call that is clearly missed and then it turns into a serious injury for a team that has already dealt with its fair share of injuries, including leading the losing the leading scorer in the league. And the officials go now. It's it's quite possible because we didn't have a mic on Jerry Stackhouse to know exactly what he said, and that's probably just as well. It's quite possible that he didn't really leave them a choice but to tee him up and then to eject him. But I just kind of feel like when you miss a call that's pretty obvious, you probably just got to sit there and listen to it and not send a guy to the shower. It's not how it worked. We've got, um, I don't know if Hey Dad's got any ref show stuff for you in Winners and Losers. <laughs> I got a little ump show for you in Winners and Losers coming up uh, in just a little while. So the other two midweek games, Arkansas at Florida, I mentioned that one. Ole Miss is at Missouri. Missouri, all of a sudden playing pretty good basketball. And number 10, Kentucky is at LSU. Kentucky, all of a sudden, sitting all by itself in first place in the SEC. Maybe we should have seen that company uh, coming. It's almost like history would tell you that's going to happen. Sports Talk Mississippi, one hour in the books. We'll be right back. 
Ceasefire text line open to you, 601-879-4395. Want to hear from you, your winners and losers from the weekend. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey, thanks for being with us on this Monday. Let's not waste any time because there is lots to get to. Winners and losers. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. I'm a loser, baby. We got winners. Got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. All right, Borky, I'm breaking form right out of the game, okay? Let's we normally it. go winners first. I want to do this loser because I've been thinking about it since Friday night when I saw it. I know where you're going with this. Ramon Armandariz with the ump show right out of the gate to start the college baseball season. MLB Network, Friday night, rematch of the National Championship Series from Omaha last year, Michigan and Vanderbilt. A true freshman, Jimmy Obertop from St. Louis, batting for Michigan, Kind of a borderline called strike, inside corner, breaking ball, whatever. Called a strike. It's not a strikeout. Just called a strike in the middle of the at-bat. Overtop just kind of look, kind of looks at the ground and bat just kind of goes to the ground. And he just flicks a little bit dirt backwards, turns away. He's about to step back into the box when I, uh, Ramon Armandariz says, see ya. Throws him out of the game. I've watched the replay, I bet, 50 times. And 50 times I've looked at it and go, how do you throw him out of the game for that? This umpire, so incredibly unaware, just looking for a reason to be upset, assuming that somebody, this young freshman from St. Louis playing for Michigan, is trying to show him up in Arizona on the opening night of the baseball season because of a borderline strike call in the ninth inning of a one-run ball game and sends him to the showers. I understand that umpiring and refereeing is a difficult job. And I appreciate the job because, generally speaking, I know they get beat up on a lot. And Haydad does not agree with what I'm about to say. That's okay. I think, generally speaking, officials do a pretty good job. I was immediately reminded with the start of the college baseball season, though, with how bad the strike zones are. Like, it's rare that you have an umpire that actually has a good strike zone. It's far more common to have bad strike zones. And that's not specific to any team. That's just kind of all across college baseball. The most ridiculous ejection from a college baseball game that I have ever seen, and I have watched a bunch of college baseball games. That is my loser, and I will not hear anything otherwise. You want to stick with the baseball theme and continue on your losers? How about the commissioner of Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred? Jeez. Okay. I mean, after what the Astros did, and Bregman and Altuve having, if you want to call it a press conference, it was more reading statements that they clearly didn't care about. After the Astros have changed the story about the whole please don't rip my shirt off thing three times now, it's been a disaster at all levels of this. It's been a complete disaster. And he, on Sunday afternoon, gets in front of the media to try to calm everything down, and yet he somehow, some way made it worse. 
He made it worse, no question. And on top of all of that, he called his own trophy, the commissioner's trophy, just a piece of metal. He said he's going to send a memo to all the teams in Major League Baseball that if you hit an Astros player, the punishment will be more severe than if you hit any other player. It was a nightmare. And Major League Baseball's got a serious leadership problem if, and we'll talk about it later in more detail, but when you've got active Major League Baseball players that are saying the only thing that's wrong with the commissioner's trophy is that his name is on it, you've got a big problem. Did you see the story out of Long Beach, California? The Long Beach Little League Association is not using the Astros as one of their teams for the Little League team names this year. <laughs> because they've got kids that don't, they, they don't want kids to be associated as cheaters and made fun of by the other teams because they're wearing Astros jerseys. They don't realize the kind of toxic environments that Major League Baseball is going to have this year, wherever the Astros go. Rippy, you, you rolled your eyes when I said that. You, you're you're not buying into think that's being too sensitive? I mean, cancel culture for a baseball team named Little Much, but sure. Sure. Um... Let's do some winners. I'll save the uh, important ones for you guys. Um, like him, hate him, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, whatever you are, um, you can't deny that the President of the United States um, knows how to cater to an audience. <laughs> I mean, doing the flyby in Air Force One is one of the coolest images that you can see. I don't know if you saw that. So it's a legit power play, too. Oh, of course it is. I mean, negative Ghost Rider, the pattern is full, and you just go right by anyway. 800 feet, they said on the television broadcast, they got to the ground in Air Force One, which is a shockingly massive airplane, doing yeah. the flyover over Daytona and then getting his uh, his presidential Cadillac, I forget what they call it, but uh, to be the pace car. That's awesome. And that is a showman, and that's knowing your audience, and that was really cool to see. Hey, Dad, give me a winner. I'm going to go with I'm gonna go with Michigan baseball. Uh, okay. You know, last year at the College World Series, they were sort of viewed as the party crashers, right? You know, they'd taken out UCLA, who was the number one team in the nation. There was just a sort of a feeling of, ah, you know, they don't really belong here. And all they did was go all the way to the championship series. And then this year they get paired up with Vanderbilt again, and this time they beat them. And now they're in a top ten team. And, you know, Big Ten baseball has sort of been, you know, an afterthought. They haven't really had an elite team, but that program seems to be coming up uh, pretty nicely, and I think they'll be, they'll be a, uh, a a team that this year if they make to Omaha, with nobody will be confused by it. Eric Backich, the head coach for Michigan, he is in the Dan McDonald, Chris Lamonis lineage. Oh, is he? Yes. Well, there you go. I think it goes all the way back to the Citadel. I think they were uh, I think they were all teammates at the Citadel. How about that? Some pretty good coaches that have come out of that uh, that time era at the uh, at the Citadel in South Carolina. Rippy, give me a winner. Whoever came up with the uh, Elam ending for the uh, NBA All Star Game uh, that created a about a forty five minute stretch there it was actually pretty fun. Playing to a score instead of time on the clock was a huge success. I actually enjoyed it. The three quarters preceding the fourth quarter, in which it was determined the winner would be the first to get to one fifty seven were just exhibition, slam dunk contest, no defense, what you expect from an all-star game. 
Yeah, got the guys on the, the floor played their rear ends off in the fourth quarter of that game. Like lockdown defense, standing in, taking charges. 14 fouls called in the first three quarters of the game. You had 21 or 23 called in the fourth quarter. It was really good drama at the end. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought that was a change that actually made sense, and it made the All-Star game kind of watchable for toward the end. As good as that was, guess what a debate topic on one of your national debate shows was today? Tell it. Is Giannis disappearing in the fourth quarter last night an indicator of the kind of player that he is moving forward? No clutch gene. No clutch gene because he didn't score in the fourth quarter of the All-Star game. No, it was awesome, though. The thing, What's so funny to me, I was thinking the whole time, as good as this is, you know that there are a bunch of general managers sitting up in a suite somewhere just going, please don't get hurt, please don't get hurt, please don't get hurt, the entire time they're playing that fourth quarter. You're probably right about that. I mean, you've got you've got Anthony Davis hitting the deck like three or four times. The Lakers mortgage their future to get this guy, and if they keep him, they're probably winning the title, and he might get hurt in the All-Star game. That would have made me sweat if I was a Lakers guy. Here's a um, here's one for you on the winner's side. We love to throw around the phrase fat guy touchdown. And that seems like the only time that it's politically correct to call somebody fat. Correct. But people love it when a defensive lineman scores a touchdown. So I'm not going to just assume that you can carry that over to baseball. So instead of calling it fat guy, I'm going to go with big boy base hits or big boy home runs. Ole Miss has got a couple of guys that don't look like your prototypical SEC baseball player that look like they're going to be in their everyday lineup. It's fun to watch Kale Baker hit. It's fun to watch, is it Brad Van Cleve? Bradley? Did I make his first name up completely? Van Cleve. Ben. What's his first name? Ben Van Cleve. Ben Van Cleve. I knew it was a B. Yeah. A couple of big boys. Yeah. It's Kwanzo. Van Cleve. Uh, <laughs> what did you say, Dad? It's Kwanzo. That's his first name. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, big boy base hits. Those are fun. That's on the winner's list for me. Uh, you had a couple of Mississippians named to the uh, SEC honor roll for the uh, the week with uh, Kale Baker being named co-player of the week. And it was uh, McLeod that was named co-SEC freshman of the week, right? Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Your winners and losers are next. All right, anything we missed in winners and losers, Rippy? Uh, Harold Varner III was the leader at the Genesis Open. Top to three wood on ten, that's tough. Whoop. Adam Scott got the win. Uh, shot track, I saw a shot link on the tour's feed. I uh, labeled it as a layup, 149-yard drive. So. <laughs> well, CBS didn't show it for an hour and a half, so they're a loser. Really? An hour and a half yeah. it took them to show that clip. I saw I saw one of the uh, commentators going in on Golf Digest for co- you know making a comment about hey where were y'all on that and he was like oh we did the best we could and how do you not show that you know yeah <laughs> people like seeing bad shots more than they like seeing good shots sometimes when you're talking about professional golfers this is my uh, halfway good idea 
like you show it's a golf channel, but it's only dudes that throw up like seventy eight. Like you only show the bottom of the field and what they did all week. I think people would watch it. <laughs> like that would be the uh, golf channel, the Ocho. Yeah, I mean you could only have coverage through Fridays because none of the dudes would make the cut. But it'd be like <laughs> a highlight reel type of deal where it's like this guy Ooh! shot seventy eight and he misses another four footer. Uh, hey, Ed or Borky, any other winners or losers for you guys? John Beeline. It's going to be out of the job. Is he a winner or a loser? Uh, He's a loser. Uh, Well, unless, you know, he can go to a place where he will actually win games back in college, but uh, he won't make it past the All-Star break. Uh, One year into his five-year contract, he was at Michigan forever, jumped to the NBA, inherited a really bad team, and then also had some, some stuff that happened behind the scenes that he didn't handle particularly well, and things are spiraling out of control and he's going to step away before the season kicks back later this week. Well, they they told him it was a full-on rebuild, awarded him that big whatever lengthy contract and then basically added or kept or added three wildly unhappy veterans who shocker didn't want to lose every night. It's like planting a flower seed and then peeing on it and hoping it blooms. So you're it saying no a sense. Cleveland organization is incompetently run. Yeah, the whole thing made no sense. I don't even think it's his fault, mostly. Yeah. It, it does sound like some of it's cultural, though, that his style is not connecting with the players that he's got. But maybe your point is the players that they brought in didn't want to connect with that style. I'm just uh, like, they seem shocked that Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson, who've won an NBA title and are getting paid absurd amount of money, didn't want to lose every single night. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's reasonable. Lucas in Union, always good about giving us his winners and losers from the weekend. He says, winner, XFL. I watched every game this weekend and loved it. Was there a double pass? There was. I only caught one and a half games. There was. Really? Who? Yeah. Uh, DC did it. I saw it. on. It was on Saturday. I'll have to go back and find the highlight. But there was finally the double pass. Beautiful. I need to go see it. DC, um... Looks pretty good, huh? Off to a two and zero start. They pitch a shutout this week. They're not as good. Cardale as Jones. Somebody, I, I, I found the tweet here. I'll send it to you, Rippy. Somebody made a really good point that Cardale Jones is a lot better than a lot of the quarterbacks in the NFL. It's crazy he doesn't have a job. Well, I He's was certainly gonna, more talented. It's funny you say that, hey Deb, because I was about to ask: Is Cardale Jones better than any quarterback that started for the Redskins this year? Probably. You mean Dwayne Haskins, who was at the same school that Cardell Jones was at? Well, I mean, but from, you know, I think Cardell Jones is better than him. He didn't go there to play school. That's a true <laughs> statement. I have I seen a, a lot of people do the uh, XFL or LSU could beat an XFL team or the best XFL team could beat the worst NFL team, and it makes me want to pull my hair out. The, yeah, best XFL team, the best XFL team would be closer, I think. But regardless. Uh, loser, Shaka Khan for that NBA All-Star Game national anthem attempt. Ouch. It was worse than Fergie. That's pretty bad. Um, Let's see here. I, I got a loser. Okay, hold on. John and Greenwood says he should be a winner for calling um, a 
don't make I can't make that sentence make sense. He did say I called it last week. Ole Miss would start the season no worse than two and one in baseball. I love you guys, so I will not say I told you so. But I should be a winner. That's John in Greenwood. Thanks, John. You're there. You go, winner. Hey, Dad. Here's a loser. Pearl River. Yeah, as in the Pearl River and its flooding tendencies. Needs needs to needs to get down. We can keep everybody safe. My loser is Vanderbilt baseball. Uh, I don't understand why in the second game of the season against a a team you've got a a pretty good lead on, you need to throw Kumar Rocker a hundred pitches. I understand he's a little bit of a genetic freak and, and his body is different than you know the average person, but come on. It, it, by the way, I was thinking about baseball. Are there two more unlikable teams at both levels than the Astros and Vanderbilt? Vanderbilt is so unlikable. They have the scholarship thing that everybody knows they're taking advantage of. They have the whistlers that everybody wishes would just fall off the earth. They're complete. There's two villains this year in, in baseball, the Astros and Vanderbilt. Nobody cheers for them except for their own fans. One fan base slightly larger than the other. True, true. But but, I'd, you know, be all that's for, be... Uh, I'd be all for Minute Maid getting a turf field. <laughs> and a whistler. They, they don't need a whistler. They have a, the, the trash can banger. That would, that would interfere with the, uh, the, the noises. Did you see somebody so that, went to Altuve's yeah. batting practice today and <laughs> hit a trash can behind him and ran off? Legend. <laughs> There's another uh, Shaka Khan loser for the national anthem at the All-Star Game. Uh, loser, American taxpayers, that who is, that's who is funding Trump's reality TV presidency. Huh? That is from MP in Oxford. Gallo starts same at Ameri- 6 tomorrow. Same American MP taxpayers. MP or that- BS Rippy in Oxford making those kind of comments. Good point. Everybody should get a ride on that thing. Look. It doesn't matter who the president is or which party he has. Whoever the president is and whichever the opposite party is, they're going to point out all of the trips that the president takes that cost taxpayers money. The fact is, because of the security presence necessary, it's going to cost a lot of money for the president to do anything other than sit at the desk in the Oval Office. It wasn't cheap. For Barack Obama to go to Martha's Vineyard or Hawaii like he did all the time during his presidency. It wasn't cheap for George Bush to spend two months at his ranch in Crawford, Texas during the summer when he was the president. And it's not cheap for Donald Trump to go to Mar-a-Lago every weekend and go to a few football games and NASCAR races. Oh, yeah. It's just the truth. It wasn't cheap when JFK right decided to go and, well, never mind. <laughs> get him, Shep. Let's get some border thoughts before we get to Mike Bianco in the 4 o'clock hour. That's in the 5 o'clock hour. Oh, sorry. We could all be winners if we take this bet right here. The uh, U.S. Uh, William Hill has put out the odds on uh, how many batters get hit by a pitch for the Astros this year. Currently 81 to 90 is plus 300. That feels like easy money. Give it to me one more time. Eighty-one to ninety hit 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 batters gets you plus that you get that at plus three hundred. I mean, what? How many batters are hit in a normal year? It has to be in that window, like a slot limit. Yeah, because they have they have odds for different stuff. Okay, like one hundred one to hold on, let me. It got away from here. One hundred one to one ten is plus four fifty. One eleven to one twenty is twelve to one. 
If you really want to go all out, 151 or more, they'll pay you 150 to one. Hmm? That's basically Mets, a guy a game getting getting beamed. Mets led the majors last year with 59. Oh, that seems like easy money then, doesn't it? Surely they'll get another 25 guys hit. Well, the commissioner finally put his foot down and is going to punish people for punishing the Astros the way he should have. You know what I think the rest of Major League Baseball is going to say? We don't care. Fine. Suspend us. You look like an idiot every single time you do it. Not to mention, think about spring training. Some guy in single A who's just up there. The the veterans are going to be like, here, we'll give you a thousand bucks. Hit Altuve in the head. (laughs) Bounty gate all over again. It is. Greg Williams, if you kill the head, the body will fall. <laughs> yeah, is it that? Were, I mean, excuse me. The Rockies were last with 27 if you're looking at like the window. You need to get a thin altitude air take out of that, but I don't know. Yeah. Is it that hard to be reasonably likable as a commissioner? <laughs> Evidently. Silver is well, reasonably likable. Well, everybody hates Kinda. Goodell, and Goodell's extremely good at his job. If you really think about it and what the NFL has done and navigating through the anthem stuff, and it's stronger than ever. I know he's a clown, but... Yeah, but good at your job and being likable are different, though. I know, so. that's that's why I said that, because the memes and whatnot. But he's a, very, very good at his job when you really think about it. You would say the same thing about Adam Silver, but the handling of the China situation was abysmal. Other than that, he's pretty well thought of as far as the commissioner goes. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. When we come back, we will hear Brian Haydad's conversation from earlier today with Mississippi State head baseball coach Chris Lamonis. That's coming up next. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online, supertalk.fm, Monday afternoon. Thanks for being us, uh, being along with us. Let me clean up the mess that I made earlier when I was talking about Eric Backage at Michigan. I was trying to tie him to the whole Chris Lamona, Stan McDonald, Citadel, just not even right. Right state, wrong schools, wrong lineage, wrong coaching tree. Yes, it was South Carolina, but it was Clemson-related. Eric Backage was on Jack Leggett's staff at Clemson, and you remember, you probably heard them talking about this during the College World Series. At one point, Jack Leggett had on his staff at Clemson Eric Backage, who's now at Michigan, Tim Corbin, obviously at Vanderbilt, and Kevin O'Sullivan at Florida. That's a pretty good staff. Pretty good staff, indeed. So, sorry for making a mess of that. Hopefully I've corrected it and we can all move on. Sports Talk Mississippi earlier today. Brian Haydad sat down with Mississippi State's head baseball coach Chris Lamonis to talk about week one and what's coming up. All right, joining us right now, as he will every week during the college baseball season, Coach Chris Lamonis, Mississippi State University, a very successful opening weekend for the Diamond Dogs, getting the sweep over Wright State. I thought the biggest storyline coming into the, the season and into this weekend in particular was your, your starting pitching. You know, you're going to have two guys making debuts. More or less, you know, since Aaron Tolan had gotten some innings last year, but McLeod was a guy that was an unknown to us. You had a ton of confidence in him uh, coming into the season. Just give us your, your thoughts on the starting pitching this week from Ginn to McLeod to Sarantola. Well, I was pretty pleased. I mean, like you said, we had two guys who really haven't pitched a lot out there and then one who's pitched a lot. Um, I thought JT was good. You know, got to his pitch count probably a little early. But, um, 
you know, we're, we're happy where he's at. And then, you know, the, the two outings by uh, McLeod, who I thought was, you know, one of the better players in the country probably this weekend. But just getting to see him go out there and pitch the way we knew he could, and the type of stuff that he has, and shows composure because Wright State's such a good base-stealing team. Um, we were happy with him. And then Eric Tarantola, kinda, we, we got what we kind of thought we'd get. Um, but as he fought through some innings, boy, he started to show a lot of confidence. His stuff is electric. So we feel like uh, getting him out there and getting him innings, we feel like just every day that he pitches, he's going to become a better player. And as, as we grow, you know, he'll grow as we grow, you know, with it too. So we're, we're excited about all those guys. And then in the bullpen, you, you went through a lot of different guys, uh, some some new faces. Obviously got to see Riley Self and Spencer Price. thought they were very effective, and that could be a, a big plus for your team going forward. The bullpen, did, did you get all the guys out there you wanted to get? Probably not. We probably had a couple more guys we could possibly get out there. Uh, the game stayed pretty tight. You tipped your hat to right state all weekend. I didn't. I never felt like a game was out of control. So um, we used probably our core group. And probably the only disappointment we had was Landon Sims on Friday night. You know, he came in to close and uh, was a little wild. But he redeemed himself on Sunday. I think he may have been our best arm we threw out there on Sunday. Um, and we feel like he's that type of guy. But I thought all the other guys came in. They threw strikes. They commanded their off speed. And um, I was pretty pleased across the board because for a lot of the guys, that was their first time at the dude in a real game setting. So uh, getting out there, getting the butterflies out of the way and, and pitching and pounding the zone was what we wanted to see. I know you're a coach that, that preaches one game at a time, and, and you preach, you know, the next game is the most important game. But looking at your, your success in out-of-conference games at Mississippi State, you're 28-1 and now. Uh, in, in the midweek and non-conference weekend games during the regular season. That, to me, speaks like it goes a little bit beyond next game is the most important game. What is your mentality, and how do you and your staff handle midweek games that you're having this much success? Well, I think it goes back to your team a little bit. You know, fortunate to have a really good team and come into, you know, last year we had good pitching depth and we had, uh, you know, really good offense. So the offense took us out of some jams last year and some midweeks, but um, – I think that'll change a little bit this year because we're playing such a tough out-of-conference schedule. But our, our philosophy is usually to get a decent start and then use our bullpen to keep them fresh for the weekend, but also try to get guys work. And then, you know, hopefully we can just out-hit you a little bit, you know, as time goes on. But we've been a, you know, we're a pretty balanced team, I feel like. And even last year we were a balanced team that we defend pretty good, we hit pretty good, and we pitch pretty good. So... You know, we don't have a, as many holes maybe as some other teams. Um, hopefully, that's the, that's the key as we go out and play these midweeks. But this year's midweeks are, you know, Texas Tech, Southern Miss, Ole Miss, you know, Sanford, who's supposed to win the SoCon. You know, we just have a lot of really good teams that we're matching up against. So um, it, it'll be a little bit tougher schedule for us. But, but we were pleased with this weekend. You told us yesterday you hadn't settled on anybody to start that game against Samford on Tuesday, but who's in the mix for that role, or is it just going to be a situation where maybe one guy gets an inning or two and there's not really a midweek starter, per se? It's not really a midweek starter. I think we probably run Carlisle Costler out there. Um, you know, Carlisle pitched two innings this weekend, but more of a starter type of guy. So he'd probably throw a couple innings, but it would be a full bullpen day. We're going to need everybody available for the weekend, so we don't want to – we don't want to use somebody all the way up. So it would be trying to get five or six different guys out there, get them, you know, get their feet wet, almost use it like their bullpen for the week and get everybody out there and throw. Let's talk about the guys in the field a little bit. Two freshmen I was incredibly impressed with, Cameron James and Logan Tanner. James especially, he, he looks, he just carries himself like a veteran out there on the field. What's the ceiling on those two guys? How good can they be as freshmen and then how good can they be going forward? 
Well, you know, the, the piece that I like about both of them is that they're good defenders. Like, uh, defense will keep you out there. We know in our league the uh, offense will have some ups and downs, but Cameron's, uh, you know, he's probably, I don't want to, he's probably more of a shortstop. So then you're putting a shortstop over there at third base, letting him, you know, play with range over there. And then same thing with LT behind the plate. I mean, you know, we put him back there, and, boy, the running game really stopped, you know, um, for Wright State this weekend. He's, you know, got pure arm strength. But I think the offensive side, both kids have come in and worked really hard with Coach Gotro, our hitting coach. And, and they had good weekends, hit good pitches. Uh, Cameron, obviously, had, I thought the two-out hit yesterday was huge to kind of uh, separate that game for us. Um, he showed that he could use the whole field. He has real power. Uh, we're excited about him. And, uh, you know, hopefully he'll get out there and keep growing as the game goes on. With your veterans, the guys like Foscue and Rowdy Jordan and Jordan Westbrook and so on and so forth, how do you evaluate them after week one? It's, it can't be just as simple as looking at their numbers because Foscue is a guy who I think he came out of the weekend hitting two twenty five, but you know that's going to improve. And he had some productive outs as well this weekend. What are you looking at week one at, at your veteran guys? You know, we're, um, you know, Foscue and Westberg, I, I thought they were both really good. I think Foscue hit 225 and he had six RBIs. Yeah. So he came up and took the RBI every time they gave it to him, which I, which we wanted to do. I mean, he could swing for the fences, but, and a lot of those balls were, man, stung right at somebody, but he knew he'd get the run in. Uh, Westy, I thought, had a really good weekend. Um, you know, had some, some big swings at the plate. Um, you know, like other ones, like, you know, Rowdy, you know, is playing center field for the first time. So, man, we're breaking down some game film. Looking at positioning, looking at jumps. Uh, Josh Hatcher's playing first for the full time. So some of these older guys that we've had, um, you know, we're looking at some of those things. But we're just coaching. We're just, you know, we're not making a big deal about it. Uh, same way we coached them last year, and um, you know, you do know what they're going to do, and they, they understand the, you know, the game a little bit more than some of these younger kids. Uh, probably Cameron and Logan think the game's really easy right now, right after week one, and you know, I had success and. I think our older guys know it's a, it's a daily grind of just showing up and preparing, and uh, I think that's what we're trying to get through to this young team. One of your veterans had to miss a couple of games. Tanner Allen uh, fouled a ball off of himself on, on, on Friday. You held him out uh, Saturday, Sunday. He said it was mainly precautionary. What's the plan for him this week? Is it maybe another day of rest for the midweek and have him ready for the weekend, or, or what's, what's going to be the situation there? Yeah, we don't know yet. Yeah, I think he's meeting with some docs at Hay or whatever, but I, I think he's going to be all right. He was moving around a little bit better yesterday. We'll – We'll have to see, you know, today, tomorrow, and see how I'm hoping. I'm hopeful we'll have him for the weekend. And then speaking of the week, I hate to make, you know, we just talked about taking it the next game at a time, but we're going to skip over Samford here and talk about Oregon State. Obviously a program that's had a ton of success over the past decade, a few national championships. Mississippi State fans have seen them in the College World Series. What kind of program are they this year? What kind of team? And what do you expect they're going to bring to Starkville? Yeah, they're going to, you know, it's, it's got some older – I know some of their older arms were on that World Series team from a couple of years ago. They're going to come in and really pitch and defend. Uh, some new hitters, so we some of the guys that we don't know, we're trying to start scouting them this week and uh, trying to figure it out. But I think you'll see them really pitch, really defend. Uh, they've always played a very hard-nosed, fundamental style about them. Um, it's the way they've been coached for, for years. Um, and then we'll have to figure out their offensive pieces, you know, as, as we're figuring out ourselves. I'm sure they're doing the same. and. I just think it'll be really competitive. You'll, you'll get a real gauge of where we're at after this upcoming weekend. All right. Mississippi State with four games this week. They play Samford on Tuesday, and then that weekend series with Oregon State should have a lot of national eyes on it. It should be a lot of fun. Coach, we look forward to talking to you as much as we can this season. Uh, congrats on the opening weekend. Thanks a lot. 
That was Brian Haydad with uh, Chris Lamonis earlier today on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Sounds like overall, Haydad, uh, you know, pretty pleased kind of with all aspects of the game from week number one. Yeah, and when we talked to him on Sunday after the game, he was just asked about his thoughts, and he thought, yeah, it was, it was mainly a very positive week. You know, the young guys looked good. He was able to get the different guys in the bullpen some looks, get some guys some innings. He, like he said, he didn't get everybody he wanted out there, but he, he did put a variety of guys out there. His starters, for the most part, looked pretty good. And I, you, you have to have faith in your veterans. Even a guy like Foscue, who didn't get off to a great start, you know that he's going to turn that around. And, and so, you know, obviously the – you didn't beat anybody you know, fifteen to one or anything like that, but you got three wins, and, and that's what the the main goal was. And yeah, I think Lamonis feels like his team is in a pretty good place. We've heard from Scott Barry, did that in the three o'clock hour. You've now heard from Chris Lamonis. Mike Bianco will join us about twenty minutes from right now. Eh, not not right. That's not right. Half an hour from right now. Mike Bianco will join us to talk about Ole Miss's weekend against Louisville. Take a quick time out. Be back with more at Sports Talk Mississippi on a Monday. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad with you on this Monday afternoon. Jay Hobson has hired a new offensive coordinator. We will get to that coming up in the college football fix in just a little bit. Baseball action, middle of the week. Arkansas State and Ole Miss are scheduled to meet at 4 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Samford is at Mississippi State tomorrow afternoon as well. First pitch for that one, hey, Dad, 4 o'clock also? 4 o'clock, assuming the weather holds. Yep, yep. Uh, Sports Talk Mississippi tomorrow will be live at M-Trade Park in Oxford. That is formerly FNC Park. Same great all-purpose sports facility, but with a new name. And uh, we'll be there to talk a little bit about all that's going on this spring and into the summer at M-Trade Park. Tons of baseball tournaments, tons of soccer tournaments, and uh, really a first-class facility. We'll tell you all about that tomorrow afternoon these midweek basketball games, uh, Mississippi State playing on Wednesday night, hey, Dad, that's a big one at South Carolina because, once again, you're talking about two teams that are at least in the bubble conversation. It's taken a while for South Carolina to move into that spot, but they finally gotten there, and it's because they're 8-4 and four in the league. They've been really, really good in 16-9 and nine overall. Yeah, the game is in Starkville. That's, uh, that's the Wednesday night game. State plays at South Carolina um, March 3rd, I believe. And towards the yeah, end that's season, right. Which, I'm sorry. Well, you know, it's interesting though. Right now, is that if that game was in Starkville or a game was in Columbia, that would be a, if they could win, it would be a quadrant one win. They're they're 64 in the net, so that sort of snuck up on MSU an opportunity for another resume win. But that's going to be towards the uh, the end. But you're right in, in that it's a big win for State, or it's a big game for State. State is State could probably afford one more loss this season and still get in, but. It just feels like they need to rattle off two or three wins in a row just to give themselves a little bit of breathing room. And getting South Carolina at home, it's going to be a tough team. We all know what Frank Martin's teams play like. It's going to be a a battle all the way. But that said, yes, if they can get a win here, that will will be another boost for their tournament resume. So because it's a home game, it wouldn't be quadrant one. It would be a quadrant two win. Right, but when they go on the road, assuming South Carolina remains a top 75 team, I believe, they will be a uh, quadrant one win. Yeah. Frank Martin said some things in his 
press conference earlier today that really makes some sense. You know, he he thinks the whole net rankings are a little overvalued. He said, look, he said, there's got to be a baseline to start the conversation. He said, but the selection committee looks at who you played, where you played, who you beat, and who you lost to. Ultimately, that's it. He said, you got to help me understand this net thing. We beat Tennessee at home on Saturday. We move up two slots in the net ranking, and so does Tennessee. Yeah. He said, so who you beat doesn't matter? He said, I, I, Same I can't things believe happen to state. Same thing's happened to State. They've beaten Arkansas twice this year. They're still behind them in the net rankings, and they actually have dropped. They were 48 on Saturday. They're down to 53. Hmm. So, yeah. It's an NCAA imperfect formula. Make their own it rules, is, you know. It is a tool. It's not the tool. If it was the tool and there were no questions to be asked, we wouldn't have to do the interview with the chair of the selection committee on Sunday afternoon where he's explaining decisions that the committee made and why some teams got in and some teams didn't. At the the end of this, if State handles its business and wins the games it's supposed to win and they finish 12-6 and or so in the conference, they'll be fine and they'll get in. But they haven't left themselves any, any room for error with the losses they've had. You're riding a roller coaster with the... I think they're done. I don't think they can get in. Oh, it looks like there's a pretty good chance if they do this. I, f- I feel like for the past two or three weeks, I've, I've been on the, if they handle their business, they'll get in. Now, losing to Ole Miss and losing in the manner they lost was, was certainly, you know, a bit of a, okay, now they're, they're out of wiggle room. But coming back and winning that game at Arkansas gave them a little, a little margin for error. Not much, not a whole lot. They can't afford more than one more loss, I don't think. But at least they're not in. We have to win the rest of the way out mode. We mentioned Borky. I think you brought it up earlier during uh, Winners and Losers. John Beeline. John Beeline, currently the head coach of the Cleveland, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. Most recently head coach of the University of Michigan. Did some really good things there. Cavaliers and John Beeline have discussed the possibility of the coach stepping down before the end of the All-Star break, and Beeline was expected to reach a decision in the next 24 to 48 hours. It reminds me of when Moorhead was getting out and you started seeing tweets. They're contemplating firing him. Well, at that point, they're probably going to go ahead and do it. Yeah, they leak this story to go ahead and get things moving along, right? Yes. Well, that, it, he, it sounds like he did it himself. It wasn't like leadership for the Cavs pulled him aside and said, hey, this is over. It was more like he approached them with the idea that he was done. In the ESPN story, says, since he signed a five-year contract upon leaving the University of Michigan, Beeline, 67 years old, has been increasingly unable to adjust to a dramatically different world in the NBA. Friends and associates have described him as unhappy, even miserable with the move to the Cavs. The losing that comes with a rebuild, as well as several skirmishes in public and private with players. Weep for yourself, my man. You'll never be what is in your heart. Sports Talk Mississippi, 5 o'clock hour with you Monday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk. Available to you via podcast, also on demand at supertalk.fm. You can get the show via podcast along with Thunder and Lightning and, of course, the Rebel Report. 
wherever you get your podcasts. So from the Apple Podcast Store or from Google Play or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever it is you go, podcasts are available to you. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. The C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395 if you would like to be a part of the conversation. C Spire wants you to know that Mississippi's future can't wait. From our kids to our economy, everything's on the line when it comes to computer science education in our schools. That's why C Spire is working with state leaders on a bill that will call for every school to teach computer science. Join C Spire in the fight by texting FUTURE to 50457 or visiting the website OurMSFuture.com. The time is now Mississippi. The time right now is for the College Football Fix. It is truck month at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. College football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com to find out more. Stop by your local Mississippi Ford dealer to test drive the Ranger, the F-150, or the Super Duty great Ford trucks during truck month. Um Jay Hobson has added a new offensive coordinator to his staff. It's a guy who's got some pretty decent credentials. Louisiana Monroe offensive coordinator Matt Kubik has been hired to take on the same role for the Golden Eagles. That's according to a report from the Sun-Herald. He replaces Buster Faulkner, who stepped down after one season to become an offensive analyst at Georgia. Recent stats are any indication Kubik should be an, uh, bring an increased focus to the ground game for Southern Miss, which has struggled to run the ball over the last couple of years. Kubik played quarterback at Louisiana Tech. He's been on the ULM staff for four years and helped turn the Warhawks into a balanced attack on offense. 253 per game through the air, 207 on the ground. They went 5-7 and seven last season. ULM, one of just five programs that averaged at least 250 yards passing and 200 yards rushing this past year. The other four, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and UCF. What do you guys think of this hire for Jay Hobson? It's a pretty solid group of offenses that you just uh, looped them in there with. Yes. I'm not saying that ULM was exactly the same as those other four programs, but, you know, limited number of programs that hit those benchmarks. It's pretty significant. Yeah. Yeah. His resume looks pretty good. I mean, this is a guy that looks like he's been successful just about everywhere he's gone, uh, you know, and he's he, he should be able to, you know, bring in the type of players in this state that you know, you're talking about you want to run the football, man. Have I got a state a state for you? Have I got a, a talent base that you need to recruit from. You can easily find guys that can run the ball and offensive linemen who want to be able to run block here in Mississippi. So it makes a lot of sense for me. Quick pause here. Uh, no Mississippi State Samford tomorrow. Yeah, just got canceled. Okay. Forecast. Forecast. Yep. yep. Hmm. Prior to joining ULM in 2016, Kubik served two seasons as the offensive coordinator at Stephen F. Austin. They averaged um, 430 yards in 2015, 461 yards in, I guess, the year before that, scored nearly 30 a game. He's also worked as a receivers coach at Central Arkansas and on the offensive staff at Northwestern State. Two-year starter at quarterback at uh, La Tech, threw for over 4,000 yards and 28 touchdowns. 
and uh, had a good senior season. So that is the uh, addition that Jay Hobson makes to his coaching staff, new offensive coordinator, as spring football is just around the corner for the Golden Eagles. That's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Remember, log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford tough. Um, Let's go back to the Rob Manfred story, which really is just an extension of the Astros cheating story. From his media op yesterday, the commissioner said these things. A memo is coming for the 29 teams warning that there will be increased punishments for hitting Astros players. Unwritten rules and whatnot. Baseball was made aware of the cheating well before the investigation opened. Glad you thought it was important enough to start investigating as soon as you heard. Manfred felt the Astros players didn't lie about 2017, so it's hard to figure out why they would lie about 2019. Manfred is 100% sure that buzzers were not used. Not 100% sure. Sorry. Manfred is not 100% sure that buzzers were not used. If you remember earlier, they claimed they investigated it and found nothing and were comfortable with their findings. Now they're not sure if they used them or not. Rob Manfred believes that public shame is the worst punishment the Astros got, and that is a good thing. Rob Manfred. Would the ultimate public shame be taking away the World Series title, if that was true? Well, but the World Series title, he says the commissioner's trophy is just a piece of metal. Who cares if the Astros have it or not? Do you remember in A Christmas Story when Flick sticks his tongue on there and the teacher comes back and I'm sure the shame you feel is far worse than any punishment I can give. And Ralphie and the narrator says, we all knew that getting off was the best way to get out of this. Yeah. There's no shame. These guys aren't sorry. How can you be ashamed of something you do, you aren't sorry for? Idiots. Players are mad. And when you have a guy like Mike Trout speaking out, you know you got a problem. He didn't talk about anything. Major League Baseball has been very open about saying, we need Mike Trout to be more the face of the game. We need him to speak up. We need his personality to come through. Okay, here you go. Mike Trout, quote, They cheated. I don't agree with the punishment. I lost respect for some of those guys. Going up to the plate knowing what's coming? That would be a lot of fun, said the best hitter in baseball. Chris Bryant, currently a Cub. We'll see how long. What a disgrace that was. It's hard to believe. It's sad. If they didn't get caught, they'd still be doing it. I believe they had buzzers. I really do. The whole punishment was weak. They got fined, what, $5 million? The price of beers, you make that real quick. I think it's worse than steroids. You have to at least compete and know how to hit the ball. Knowing what's coming, it's frustrating. Everybody around the league is really upset. It's a disgrace to the game. Justin Turner, the Dodgers. They shouldn't have rings. Sorry. World championship is earned. For him to devalue it the way he did yesterday just tells me how out of touch he is with the players in this game. 
At this point, the only thing devaluing that trophy is that it says commissioner on it. Ooh, I love that spice right there. Cody Bellinger was... I don't like the Dodgers, but, uh, but I like that. Yeah. Cody Bellinger was adamant that they had the World Series stolen from them. And then Carlos Correa was mad about what Cody Bellinger said and goes, hold on a second. They left a ton of guys on base in that World Series. Cody uh, Cody Bellinger didn't have a good series. Don't come to me talking about stealing it. We earned that. I kind of feel like if you're an Astro, you've just got to shut your mouth and take it. Yep. And then people are throwing out Bellinger's strikeout numbers in the World Series. Yeah, he probably wouldn't have struck out 17 times if he knew what was coming. So, Does anything change, Rippy? I don't think so. I think there's hoping this goes away, which it's not. We still talk about Pete Rose, don't we? Well, yeah, that's still talk about the black we still talk about Sox. the Black Sox. I just mean I think this is going to stay in the daily news cycle throughout the season. No, I agree. Well, they just had a player also uh, suspended for the year for PEDs, so they're they're just doing it from all angles. Next, Who's we'll find that? out they paid off an umpire, Francis Martez. Yeah, 162 games for. Boldenon, I believe. A PED. Fair enough. Sports Talk Mississippi with you Monday afternoon. Mike Bianco joins us coming up next on the Farm Bureau phone line. We'll talk with him about the Rebels' weekend series win over the Louisville Cardinals. That is when we continue on this Monday. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, Monday afternoon. Mike in Oxford on the ceasefire text line said, Every batter Nolan Ryan faced knew what was coming. Didn't help. I guess there might be uh, something to that. Uh, maybe so. Except he didn't throw one pitch and they didn't know where it was coming. Uh, Richard must have not drank his insure this afternoon. He botched the Michigan coaching tree and then forgot where Mississippi State played South Carolina. He'll be hiding his own Easter eggs soon. Yeah, old man. Two mistakes. I have reached my mistake quota for the day, right? You are 40 now. No, I'm not. Oh, you're not? So you're not until not November. 40 is coming, but I'm not there yet. What does that make you? Are you a millennial? I don't know. I think I'm... What? What's the one before millennial? I don't know. Is that Generation, Generation X? Generation X, I think, yeah. That's what I am. Yeah. Whatever. I can understand being mad at the Astros and can even understand throwing at Astros players during the game, but taking away the World Series trophy for something that wasn't illegal at the time... I can't get behind unless MLB is willing to investigate all the other teams to prove the Astros were the only team doing it. If you think Altuve, Bergman, Beltron, and the other few involved invented this, you're naive. It wasn't illegal at the time? It very much was. And yeah. What to say? It, you may not be a daily listener of the show, but uh, last week we told you about how 
the Astros did invent this scheme. I mean, they used an algorithm with clubhouse nerds, and they set up the camera, and they, the players didn't like that the camera was too slow, so they created their own little area to where they could watch uh, the feed of the game and relay the signals. Yeah, this is something that they came up with. And, and the thing to me about the Astros situation is it was a really sophisticated operation. And... It appears as if, as more and more information is coming out, it was known about at all levels of the organization. Is it possible that Jim Crane, the owner, did not actually know? Sure. I guess so. Um, But it was known up and down the ladder. And when it's an institutional thing, I mean, I've talked with lots of people away from the radio about this. And everybody agrees that stealing signs is part of baseball. But that stealing signs that's part of baseball, you think of as, okay, you got a guy sitting on the end of your bench that's a relief pitcher that's got a lot of time on his hands and he's really smart and has the ability to pick up what they're signaling in from the other dugout or from the other third-base coach's box. That's what you think of when you're thinking sign-stealing. Not mounted video cameras that are zooming in on the catcher giving signals and in real time getting that information to the dugout and then transmitting that to the hitter at the plate. And you don't have to, you don't have, to have a sound or a signal for every single pitch. You just got to have a sound for one pitch. Like if you pick up what a change-up is and you make a sound for a change-up, Okay, you know a changeup's coming. Guess what? If you don't hear a sound, then you stop thinking about changeup and you're only looking for two things. You're only looking for fastball and breaking ball. Rob Manfred has come off so bad, looking so bad in all this deal. And I know stripping, like stripping the title... I agree with him to a point that it's a paper penalty. Like, vacating wins is kind of silly because we all know who won the game. If you Google it, it still shows up that this team, like Louisville in 2013, won the NCAA tournament. Rick Pitino's back shoulder still tells you that they won the NCAA tournament via his awful tattoo. But at least it is something. It is something that that is tangible that you can say, we found and confirmed through multiple channels that they cheated via breaking our rules that gives them a direct competitive advantage to win these games. Therefore, we took the games away from them. It's a paper penalty. We all saw who won it, but at least you can say that that's gone now. And there's an asterisk there forever. That's at least something because right now, a couple of draft picks for two years... I was reading this morning. I had no idea. The Braves got a worse punishment for that, for overpaying some prospects. Hmm. At least Rick Pitino showed off his tattoo. Altuve wouldn't do it. That's why he was so embarrassed and couldn't take off his shirt. Well, and so, so he comes out publicly about that, but then today he's walking around the clubhouse with no shirt so people can see the tattoo, the M on his chest, which is for the first name of his daughter. Okay. But the first excuse was that his wife would be mad if he was shirtless. I know. that's That was kind of the point I was making, was that, okay, 
so now you just traipse around with no shirt and you know that doesn't matter anymore. I, the whole thing it's just it's one double standard after another. And you know the the problem in all of this is that Rob Manfred gave these players immunity to talk. And once you give them immunity, it's not like you can go back and punish them at that point. The whole immunity thing, well, never mind. That could involve into an entirely different conversation. I, I, I felt this going down the path right there. I, that I have I start, no interest in going down today. The hair on my arms but stood up. I was like, here we go. The memo. If you, if you want to use it, using immunity only works when you're telling on someone else. You have a vested interest in telling on someone else most of the time. Like, how, you're just trusting they're telling the truths about themselves. And then to turn it's around and say they had no law. incentive to lie. It's not. Yeah, it's not a court of law. If they did, like, why would what would stop them from lying or not telling the whole truth? More well, I mean, public shaming. Th- theoretically, you say if we find out you're lying when we give you immunity, the punishment on you will be doubly bad. No one has said that. What, are they going to hit him with the piece of metal that doesn't matter? Like I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We were supposed to visit with Mike uh, Bianco. We'll continue to try that. It's not worked out, obviously, in this um, segment. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Ceasefire text line is open six zero one eight seven nine. Four three nine five. Forky, this New Orleans Saints thing is this new information? This is new information. Yeah, so it, it's kind of a funny layer. I, I don't know if you want to call it funny or not. Actually, it's just let's, let's, let's be careful with the word it, it's funny. It's a very when we're talking about this. It's a very New Orleans thing to have happened. So, in case you've missed it, uh, people that are employed by the Saints using their NFL domains in their email assisted the local Catholic Church in their PR campaign after um, they were sued because of the the child uh, abuse scandal. Um, 50 credible names, uh, or 50 names of credibly accused, and people that work for the Saints helped with the PR message, and there's a lawsuit going on to try to release the communication between the football team and the Catholic Church on how they should handle the message from this scandal. And it's been kind of a big deal little layers coming out at a time. The one last week was that uh, those emails are going to be released in court at some point. That is coming. So we will know what they said. This week, the new layer is uh, the Saints got involved, or at least people that work for the team. It's You've got to separate the two. The people that work for the team that got involved did so by the request of a federal hmm. judge. A federal judge in New Orleans said on Friday that he gave Archbishop Gregory Imond the idea of bringing in the Saints' top public relations executive to advise the archdiocese as it prepared to release a list of alleged, allegedly abusive clergymen. Jay Zaney, a devout Catholic who has sat on the U.S. District Court bench in New Orleans since 2002, said he told Iman before the November 2018 release of the list that Greg Bensel, the NFL team's, the Saints' vice president of communication and a longtime friend, could help manage the latest flare-up in the abuse scandal and ensure that parishioners and the public understood that safety measures were now in place to prevent sins of the past from recurring. 
Zaney offered the suggestion during a uh, chance encounter with the Archdiocese, uh, I'm sorry, the Archbishop Imond at a Mass. Here's his quote. I said, Greg may be a really good guy to help you get out the message you want. That can't change the sins of the past, but that we sympathize with the victims and let the public know that we're do what we're doing to safeguard people. The relationships and communications between Imond, Bensel, Saints owner Gail Benson, and other team officials before Imond's public accounting of the local church's history of clergy abuse have become a critical point of contention in a lawsuit involving an alleged victim of one of the deacons who is a suspected serial child abuser. Hmm. Layers upon layers. Let's go back to baseball from the weekend. Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Southern Miss all at home on opening weekend. Mississippi State gets a three-game sweep of Wright State. Southern Miss swept Murray State. And Ole Miss took two of three from Louisville in the opening weekend of the series. Hey, Dad, let's um, let's talk first again about Mississippi State. Pretty good crowds this weekend, weren't there? Yeah, uh, especially the Saturday crowd with uh, you know the weather being pretty good, sunny skies, and and it was in the uh, I guess the mid fifties, so it wasn't that bad. Um, so they had they announced over eleven thousand, and that that's pretty close to accurate. I mean, I, obviously, you know, everybody does paid attendance these days, but. All three weekends, the outfield was very full. The student section was very full. And uh, on Saturday, like I so said, the grandstand was, was pretty full as well. I expect really big crowds this weekend, though, with uh, with Oregon State coming in. Yeah, if the weather cooperates, certainly you would expect that to be the case. Uh, what was kind of maybe two or three things that you took away from opening weekend? Um, that I think they're going to be okay with the pitching. I believe Ginn will, will, will turn it around. Or turn it around is not even the right word. We'll, we'll be himself when we, when, the, when we, we get going. Uh, McLeod looked really, really good, and I think Sarantola. The tools are clearly there. He's just got to find some confidence and, and just you know be be mentally tough in, in some of these outings. And then I, my biggest takeaway, I, th- I think, they, there's two freshmen who were in the starting lineup. Uh, Cameron James started all weekend long. Logan Tanner uh, started uh, Saturday and Sunday. They both look very, very good. Now again, it's it's early and they're playing right state, so I don't know how much I want to take away from this, but Cameron James. Just carries himself like a veteran, and Tanner, you know, you saw that he had, uh, you know, good good plate appearances, but also looked good behind the dish, uh, threw a couple of guys out. That's a you know a team that likes to run the uh, run the base pass a lot. So I thought they were they were pretty good. I think they were solid defensively. This is a team that you know they have the pieces to make another run to Omaha. If if everybody's clicking and everybody can play close to their ceiling, they're going to be one of the top teams in the country throughout the season. Mississippi State was scheduled to play Samford tomorrow night and or tomorrow afternoon, and that has been canceled, postponed, all the above because of weather. Uh, Ole Miss is scheduled to play Arkansas State tomorrow. Uh, I've not seen an announcement at this point of any changes in plans, but uh, we'll keep an eye on the weather and how that might affect it one way or the other. Rippy, same thing for you. Um, crowds were pretty good this weekend in Oxford. I was I made it to one inning on Friday. Um, had a flight Friday night and had promised the kids that I'd take them to opening day. And my plan was to make it for about forty five minutes. That turned out to be one inning. I thought about you as I was walking out of the stadium, and I thought that's Rippy going. That is quintessential college baseball. Thirty five minutes, 
five base runners, five strikeouts, no runs scored. That's, that's perfect college baseball, right? Moving right along. But, yeah, <laughs> decent crowds. I mean, enough to debate about it on the Internet and such. But what? They, were, they were, like, I thought they played pretty well. Like, I fig- figured the main takeaway was probably the way the newcomers handled themselves at the plate because you know, three of your four biggest hits of the weekend came from guys uh, you know, that were not on the roster last year or did not contribute last year. So, um I think if you're looking for a concrete sign in three games that they might be better than expected, then I would probably uh, point you there. Um, let's see here. There was a question just a second ago. It was about the uh, the rotation for Ole Miss. I think it was just kind of a general, do you think that Mike Bianco sticks with this rotation, or is it something where they kind of tinker with the third starter spot? As time goes along, what do you think? I saw this question. I don't understand this. It said that they could be the like they both become Sunday starters. I don't know what that means. West Burton pitched pretty well, and if they need him out of the bullpen, I don't think you're going to hold him so he and Derek Diamond can tag team Sunday. It's not really how a manager would think his way through a game, but I guess if 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 you have him available until Sunday, I guess that's possible as well. He made a late push to actually be the third starter behind Diamond. I don't see them changing the rotation as of now. How would you grade each of the starters? If you're giving an A, B, C, D, F letter grade. B, B plus, and B plus. So B for Nikhazy. <laughs> Pitch count got really high in the first inning, but he got out of a jam. And then it was in the sixth when he got into some trouble? Yes, and that eventually ended his day. <laughs> Gave it back-to-back singles, and then I think a double or something like that. And then I don't have it in front of me, but yes. Is Austin Miller the closer, or is that a role that's going to be defined this year for Ole Miss? I think he's a favorite, but I think that's something they're still learning. I don't think they know who their closer is yet. Who do you think the other candidates would be? Taylor Broadway. Who was first out of the pen on Friday. I guess Forsyth, if you could get him to throw strikes, but... um, That's really about all I got right now. Offensively, what stands out for you? Kale Baker? Yeah, a Peyton Chatagnier had a productive weekend and her video hit pretty well. So those are three guys that you probably are going to count on for a lot of the year. And Tim Elko hit a home run. Tyler Keenum was productive. I thought they handled themselves after a frustrating Friday at the plate pretty well. Message here says Dunhurst seems to have no problem replacing the arm of Cooper Johnson. Yeah, I mean, he's a young guy. I mean, a lot of, I mean, Ole Miss is hard on catchers, like Bianco, obviously, former catcher. But yeah, I thought arm wise, you know, we shut down a, what is usually a pretty active running game. Yeah. And people have made a lot of the throw from the knees, throw from his crouch into knees. Somebody pointed out a second ago that, you know, if you go back and you really watch the replay and you slow it down, he actually lets that ball go while he's still in his crouch and momentum kind of carries him to his knees to, uh, to make the throw. Pretty pretty cool way to end a series. Yeah, it was a good throw and a good way to end a series. I hadn't seen a game like that end like that before, I don't think, but yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi, you can text the show, Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395, 601-873. I did it again, Borky. 601. Oh, yeah, you're over your quota for mistakes. Get out. 879-4395. Yeah, three strikes, buddy. Sit down. 
Okay, you guys can finish it. See ya. <laughs> It'd be like that yeah. open just toss you for no reason. The biggest free phone event ever is here. Switch to prepaid by C Spire and get your choice of best-selling phones like uh, the Samsung Galaxy A10e, the Google Pixel 3a, and more while supplies last. Shop now at cspire.com slash prepaid. So that is the C Spire text line. Um, Basketball-wise. Anything else from baseball from this weekend? Borky, I know you watched a bunch of baseball over the weekend as well. Anything stand out from Starkville or Oxford? Um, Wright State, I mean, you kind of called it, right? I was thinking Friday as that game was going on, which, side note, ESPN's new app, when they consolidated the watch feature with the scores and they put them together, uh, the functionality is terrible now. I tweeted something about it, and I'm definitely not the only one. I used to be able to watch... Three games at one time. I know first world problems, but I used to be able to do that. Now, if I'm trying to stream both Ole Miss and Mississippi State, if they're on at the same time, I can't do it. Because there is so much loaded into their app because they they pushed it all together that it takes so much of your internet and your gigabytes or whatever to get it to function that unless you like put one game on and let it sit for a while and then do the other one. If there's any like lull in your internet or anything, it doesn't work anymore. It sucks. They're terrible. But um, I know it's February. I mean, we sit here on February 17th, and it's just one weekend. Like if Ole Miss would have been swept by Louisville this weekend, the reaction would have been not the end of the world, number one team in the country. It's just the first weekend. So you have to apply the same logic here. They beat the number one team in the country, or number two, depending on your favorite poll. It's a good weekend, but it's not like celebrate, have a parade. But it is really impressive considering the opponent and considering how fluid the lineup was and how inexperienced or new the lineup was to take it to a really experienced Louisville team with arms for days. I think that tells you a lot about at least what they're capable of when they have the most difficult schedule in the country coming up. Rippy, in terms of it being a successful weekend, if you had rewound to lunchtime on Friday and said, if Ole Miss can get one this weekend against Louisville, then it probably was an okay weekend. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I guess it would depend on how they played and whatever in the other two, but sure. Fair, fair enough. But if you come out of the weekend with at least one, you feel like you can live with it and move on. The problem is, if you get either the first one or the second one, it's hard not to be greedy. And you go, well, I mean, you got one. Now you could win a series. You know what that could do for you? And this isn't exactly like basketball where you hang on to one game or one series and that's the difference in you getting in or not getting in. I I don't know that there is an RPI that is available right now for college baseball. Maybe there is. Maybe if you go to Warren Nolan or Boyd's World or something like that. But my guess is Ole Miss is pretty close to the top of that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody has two wins uh, as good as those. But again, you played three games. So. Yeah, pretty small sample size at this point. Uh, in terms of SEC Weekly Honors, Cale Baker and Heston Kerstad from Ole Miss and Arkansas, respectively, were the co-players of the week. Connor Nolan from Arkansas, SEC Pitcher of the Week. And then co-freshman of the week, Owen Diodati from Alabama and Christian McLeod from Mississippi State. 11 of the 17 batters faced by McLeod were strikeouts. Sports Talk Mississippi, we will wrap up. 
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.